Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. All right, so part two of a three-part sermon. Um, last week we started, and our vision series, our vision as a church is in Long Beach as it is in heaven. We want to see God's kingdom come, his will be done in Long Beach as it is in heaven. Our mission as a church is simply to reveal Jesus. So what does that mean? Everything we do on Sundays, everything we do in community groups, everything we do as an organization is designed to reveal to the world who Jesus is and what he is like. Cool? Cool. In Long Beach as it is in heaven, mission to reveal Jesus. How are we going to go about doing that? By restoring lives, making disciples, and renewing cities. So we're, we're here for the long haul. We're here for good. Every, ga- every city we gather in, we're gonna see and work and plan and strategize and organize and generously live our lives for the good of the city we're in. That's what we're doing. So the series is about kind of how do we do this together? And last week, I began the series uh, really talking about a riot that happened 2,000 years ago. And so we looked at Acts 19. If you weren't here with us, let me just summarize this for you because it's important that you know what we're talking about. We're gonna be in Acts 19 today as well. If you have a Bible, you can go there. Um, But I started at the end of Acts 19. At the end of the story, there's a riot in Ephesus. A guy named Demetrius, or as I call it, the dude named Demetrius. That's how I remember him. Dude named Demetrius. He's a silversmith. Nobody thought that was good, right? Dude, Demetrius. I know, I get it, I get it. My wife doesn't laugh at my jokes either. Um, A dude named Demetrius is a silversmith, and he makes idols to this divine deity that they worshipped in the ancient times called Artemis. And uh, he rallies all of his friends together that worship Artemis and make kind of these fake idols to Artemis. And he says, guys, we're going to lose our trade and Artemis is no longer going to be worshipped. And so 25,000 people take to the streets and there's a riot in the second largest city in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago, Ephesus. A riot. And it has something to do with the church. And so we looked back and we discussed the significance of Ephesus. First of all, Ephesus was an influential city. It was a trade city. People gathered from all over the world to worship Artemis there. To be Ephesian was to worship Artemis. Artemis uh, was the symbol of sexuality, of financial provision, of blessing, of success in business, as well as good health and beauty. And so uh, we obviously can't relate to gods that we worship today of beauty and body and sex and finance and blessing and wealth. Of course, we have to figure out a way to connect to that. So um, I'm doing my best in all the research to make it accessible for you today. Um, But Ephesus was the epicenter of worshiping financial uh, blessing, uh, uh, success, your sexuality, and, and your family and health. And so that's where the story begins in Ephesus and the riot occurs because of something the church does or is and and what Luke records is in the first part of what caused the riot in Ephesus and I'm approaching this series like this if I answer the question what caused the riot 2,000 years ago in, in Ephesus I'm also answering the question what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus today and what does it mean for the garden church to live towards its vision towards its future 
If we answer the question, both will be answered. So last week I said this. Luke says that the, what starts the riot, it starts when Paul goes into Ephesus, finds some disciples, 12 total, and he, uh, he tells them that they need the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's the beginning of this movement. So point number one, what caused the riot in Ephesus? The local church was filled with the Holy Spirit. If we are going to be followers of Jesus today and impact our society and culture, we as individuals need to be spirit-filled followers. If we are going to accomplish our vision as a church to see Long Beach, uh, in Long Beach as it is in heaven, we must be a spirit-filled community. Are you with me? Okay, part two. Are you with me? Let's read it. Acts chapter 19. So what caused the riot in Ephesus? Acts 19 verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and he had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia, all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. This is part two of what it's going to take to see a riot in Ephesus, what it's gonna take for us to live out our mission as a church and be followers of Jesus today. I just wanna make a couple of, couple of observations before I give away part two, okay? So the first thing is this. Paul goes to a synagogue, which was a Jewish gathering place, and he argues persuasively about the kingdom of God. What you need to know is this. If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus's primary message in all of the gospels is that the kingdom of God is at hand. What does this mean? Well, first of all, Jesus doesn't talk about love as much as he talks about the kingdom. He doesn't talk about prayer as much as he talks about the kingdom. Jesus talks about the kingdom more than anything else in all of the scriptures. So as good Christians, we should know what the kingdom of God is, especially if Paul goes into new cities and simply talks about what Jesus talks about, the kingdom. The kingdom is God's reign or rule. Uh, you could even say the way we've defined it is the way God intended life to be in the first place. You see, Jesus goes around announcing good news. What was the good news? Well, the good news was that the li life God had promised from the beginning is available for everyone. A life that's marked by healing, by justice, by the forgiveness of sins, by wholeness, by peace. You having peace with God, you having peace with yourselves and with each other. Uh, peace with all creation. A life marked by joy and hope and love and resurrection and grace. Is that good news? It's not just a life marked by some assurance that you're going to go somewhere else when you die. It's a life here and now that he's making available through his life, through his preaching and through his demonstration. So when Paul goes into cities, he simply talked about what Jesus talked about, the kingdom of God. He goes around proclaiming the kingdom of God. And so we just need to know as followers of Jesus that this is Jesus' message. And I just wanna make sure that you know that that's what's happened. The second thing that you need to know is this, and this is really a side note, a pastoral moment. Anytime you experience breakthrough in the kingdom of God, anytime you try to act in this world and do good and bring justice and bring peace, bring forgiveness or reconciliation, you will always be opposed by the opposite system or the kingdom of darkness. Do you know this? 
I just wanna give you, give you guys permission to know that opposition will always come. So Paul walks into Ephesus and of course, he's being opposed by the other Jewish members of the community that's, that didn't agree with what he said. And that also is very much like Jesus. Jesus was criticized. How many of you have ever been criticized for keeping to your faith and your morality? Jesus was deserted by, love, uh, by family members and friends and close uh, uh, disciples. He was misunderstood and misrepresented, and it didn't really work out well for him at the end, right? He was killed. But he, that wasn't the end of the story. He's been raised from the dead, and he currently reigns and rules. So I just want to let you know, as you make progress, as you make progress as becoming a spirit-filled follower, when you open your life up to the kingdom of God, when you say yes to his mission in your everyday life, you will be opposed. I'm just trying to make it clear. You will be opposed. When you work on your marriage, you work towards communication and intimacy. When you say no to have sex before you're married and work towards intimacy with your future fiance or, or, or future husband, uh, you will be opposed and that will be threatened all the time. Can we just say amen to that? Okay, third observation. I love this one. It says that Paul takes his disciples and rents a lecture hall of Tyrannus and meets daily with his people. And why is this important? Well, somebody thought it was important for the local church to have a public space to do what Jesus was doing. Somebody thought it was important to rent a lecture hall, which was very common in Ephesus uh, in the first century. It was very common in Hellenized communities or Greek communities to have public spaces dedicated to public discourse, to philosophy, um, art, and beauty, and sport. And so Paul does what a, a wandering philosopher would do. They would rent a lecture hall, and they would, they would teach people the, their way of philosophy in life. And that's what he did. Somebody thought in that context that it was important for the local church to have a public space to equip the saints. And look at what happened as a result. It says at the end that the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole province of Asia. In other words, it'd be like us being a local church, meeting regularly, equipping this church. And as a result, all of LA County, uh, Southern California, all of California, hearing about Jesus because we had a daily place to gather in his name, to do and teach what Jesus taught, the kingdom of God. You with me? So I think that's interesting because it was really expensive. One scholar says that it would have been a, a lot of money. He had to have lots of support to rent that space for two hours, probably from 12 to two, because people would work early in the morning and stop at the, the heat of the day, and they would wander into the cities where they would experience life, and they would go to philosophy lectures and all sorts of stuff. And so I just think it's interesting that that's what Paul did. You know, people bashed the institution of the church, um, and yet from its inception, people were, all, were given to it to continue the mission. It's not just about the house church, although that's where it exists too. There's also an important place for us to have a public space to teach people the ways of Jesus. Are you with me? Um, one other observation about this idea of daily, uh, ministering daily in a context. For Paul, place matters. Scholars say that Paul's most effective church plant was in Ephesus. His most effective church plant, he planted all over, and, and they say the reason it was effective is because he stayed in one location, 
He, he equipped the church there and sent out the church. People were coming from all over the world because it was a port city, and he was, he was equipping them. He was also, you see that he healed them. God healed uh, people through him, and he was just sending out the church. And so the church spread because they were um, committed to a local place. Brothers and sisters, wherever you are matters. Where you are right now matters. It matters to the kingdom and it matters to this world. And I don't want you to walk up to any place that you go to thinking that it doesn't matter that you're there. Because what happens when you show up to Mackay, what happens when you show up to your cubicle, what happens when you show up to school, what happens when you walk your neighborhood is that the kingdom of God is resourced in you and God is just waiting for you to usher in this new life for the rest of the world to experience the hands and feet of Jesus through you because you're there and you know the truth. That wherever you go, it matters that you go there on purpose, even if all you're doing is wandering. Go there with the understanding that Jesus is inviting you to participate in the reconciliation of all things, the renewal of all things, the caring and stewarding of all creation through your life. So don't tell me it's an accident that you, you, know, you got in a car accident and you got to meet with somebody and pray for them. That is intentional. God is with you. Don't tell me that when you asked a question and then asked a follow-up that the person opened up the story of pain and you just listened to them as they shared their story and you invited them into your life. Don't tell me it's an accident when you take your kids to the park and you see moms and dads that are asking you, where do you live? What time do you come here? Is there any place that you go? Where else do you go? And what other park do you go? They're long longing for community. You show up there, you be where you are because God is with you. Where you are matters because you're there. And God, you know, there's this great song and we sing it, I love it, waiting here for you, waiting here for you. Jesus is saying the same thing to you. I'm waiting here for you, show up. Well, we're just waiting on the Holy Spirit to move. God's like, I'm waiting on you to move. Open your mouth and I will fill it. So that's what we want to become. So uh, a couple of observations. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Who did the miracles? Just want to make sure your theology is correct on this. As we start seeing miracles, people pray for one another here. Who is doing the healing? Who does it glorify? No matter if you listen to someone's story in our church and it seems like it's glorifying the person praying or them, we are telling the story wrong. It is always, and it will always be about Jesus. He did the miracles. And why is it important to know that? Because it's not enough to preach the kingdom. We have to demonstrate the kingdom because that's what Jesus did. So what is Paul doing? Simply what Jesus did. He preached the kingdom. He proclaimed the kingdom. What are we gonna do? Simply do what Jesus did. What does it mean to be a Christian, to become like Jesus and do what he did? Are you with me? You are all invited now to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the kingdom with your life and demonstrate it as well. And God did extraordinary miracles through uh, Paul and through the church. And so why was there a riot? How, what caused the riot to occur? What caused the riot in Ephesus? Point number one, the local church was filled with the Holy Spirit. Point number two, the local church had a bold missional presence in the city. The local church had a bold missional presence in the city. The church wasn't gathering saying, let's be really intimate with one another. They had a mission to continue the task 
that Jesus commissioned them to do, just to do what he was doing. And so what you see in Ephesus is a local church hunker down, meet regularly together, send out missionaries and people all over the world, um, doing the things that Jesus did, preaching the kingdom and demonstrating the kingdom, gathering in homes. We see that Ephesus became the epicenter for this. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and then God used them to be a bold missional presence. If you wanna see God's kingdom come in your life, become a missional presence in your life. You see, brothers and sisters, there's something wrong with a church that says missions is what happens when you go to overseas. Missions is what happens when you send out missionaries to foreign countries. You see, the church is missionary. You are all missionaries. If you have said yes to Jesus, you have a mission field. You have a purpose, you have a task, you have relationships. All of you have coworkers, hopefully coworkers. Some of you don't work, um, get a job, just kidding. Um, <laughs> not kidding, um, may, but maybe you work for yourself. Or you all have a task, you have, you have a home, you have roommates, you have a neighborhood, you have coffee shops or tea re- restaurants. I don't even know what you call tea restaurants. Are there tea shops, tea houses, I don't know. Who drinks tea here? Let me just see. Okay, sorry. Get on the real stuff. Just kidding. <laughs> you want to know where all of that budget for next year going? It's going to the Mackay coffee out there that we're making. <laughs> Don't forget to give that to that as well. Thank you very much. Okay. You are all, you are all missionaries. How are we going to fulfill our vision as a church? How are we gonna make and see God bring his kingdom and his, his will done in Long Beach as it is in heaven? We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit as individuals. We have to become a bold, missional presence. What is the mission? To do what Jesus has been doing all along. The word missional is such a sexy word in church world, and I try to avoid, I try to avoid all the church, I really do, I try to avoid like being surrounded in the church world. It's a whole institution and I don't, it's fine. It's, it's got its place, but man, it's just like you read about all these great books on how to do mission and become a missional church. And it's like, all you're doing is what Jesus was doing from the beginning. To be a mission, to, to not be missional is to not be the church. If, if you aren't missional, you are not a church. That we don't exist for ourselves. So how do we become a bold missional presence. Remember, I gave you seven characteristics of a spirit-filled follower. I've got six kind of characteristics of the missional church. What kind of presence does a missional presence have? The first one is this. It's a faithful presence. You, how, do you, how do you begin to reach the people in your life? How do you begin to transform the organizations you're a part of, the communities you're a part of, the, the neighborhoods? You become a faithful presence. Or you could say an, an intentional presence. You are a faithful presence. Uh, we have a couple in our church that has been leading the community garden for the last three years. Um, and they do it outside of the spotlight. Um, they do it regularly every week. Um, they, we moved our community garden from an actual um, lot down the street on 5th to the front lawns of Franklin Middle School. And they are here watering it regularly. They w- meet with um, some kids after school on Fridays at 3.30. And for the last two years with Franklin, Um, They have been a faithful, consistent, intentional presence of God's love and blessing and favor. 
Some of you show up to Olive Crest and walk with kids um, that are, are working at Olive Crest or are in some type of group homes and you're consistent. Some of you go to Ronald McDonald House as a consistent, faithful presence. Some of you serve at the rescue mission. Some of you, um, uh, you, you, you go places consistently to serve. But I need to share, it's not just about that. It's about you becoming a faithful presence in your life for other people. That God wants you to show up to say hi to the neighbor regularly, not just once to get him to something, but to become their friend. God wants you to be a presence, a faithful presence at coffee shops or tea houses, at your workplace, at your school. Be intentional when you go there. Become a faithful presence. That's the first one. The second one, become a compassionate presence. Oh, um, the word compassion means to be moved from the inside. I mean, literally, it's the, the Hebrew word is translated, your bowels move. Jesus was moved with compassion. It's this deep pain, this, this feeling. In Hebrew, another translation is to suffer with. Brothers and sisters, become the kind of people that suffer well when other people are suffering. Are your hearts hardened to the stranger that's asking for money? That's just baseline. Are your hearts hardened to the family member that can't get their act together? Do you have a lecture for them or do you have an embrace of compassion for them? Your coworker who gets on your nerves that's obviously screaming out for friendship and help, do you have compassion for them? We have all sorts of ministries that are compassionate ministries at this church. We serve the Precious Lamb moms. We serve at Precious Lamb, a, a preschool um, that's designed for kids whose mothers are in transitional housing. They, they are homeless, and it's a free preschool. We serve them. We do uh, St. Luke's once a month. Uh, a group of people from our church have a compassionate ministry where they care for the homeless. They go, and they provide, provide free showers for them, and they serve. They provide the needs. We have people that serve at the rescue mission. We have groups that um, go uh, to elderly homes and just express God's love for the, the men and women living uh, alone in, in an elderly home in different cities in Seal and Long Beach as well. Compassion, you gotta be filled with compassion. And if you're here and you're saying, my heart is so hard, I know what that's like. I have been the stone stoic wall to so many people and over time God has broken my heart and he breaks my heart then again and again and I hope that you, us as a church, if we have any vision, we would be filled with compassion. We would be motivated to act on behalf of those who can't act for themselves or speak on behalf of those who can't speak for themselves. We have to be filled with compassion. And this place matters and one way you can be compassionate is getting involved in the ministries we serve. We're starting a community development ministry at this church. We've decided that it's not enough for us to use this space as a venue, but we have to see Franklin neighborhood as a place God has us for the common good of this neighborhood. And so we have a group training us in community development, asset-based community development. Brooke is leading this team. She's on our, our staff team. And uh, next Saturday, it's Saturday, right, Brooke? At 10 o'clock. We're having a training at the garden office. You can find out more information on the website. We're looking to get as many people that are saying, you know what? I wanna be responsible for the next five to 10 years of this place that we gather in here and now. Even if we move away from here, we find another venue, we wanna be committed to seeing significant life transformation and community change in this neighborhood. Maybe you need to sign up for that. Some of you, I talked to a girl, she studied community development in college, and she's like, I'm signing up. I'm like, you're the person we've been waiting for. And some of you are like, I don't know what that looks like, but you said it, and I'm gonna show up. It's time to start moving your hearts forward towards Jesus. The third thing is a generous presence. 
You'll hear me talk about generosity a lot. I talk about generosity a lot because God was so generous to me. He died for me. And I believe that the way you live your life in the view of your God, the, your view of God should shape the way you live your life. And I believe God is so generous. So I believe we, I, have to live a generous life and lifestyle. As a church, becoming a generous presence means, yes, giving 20% tips, as I mentioned last week. Yes, absolutely. Tip, I would love, you know, after, um, after church on Sunday, wherever we go to restaurants, I would love for the, 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 the waiters to go, yes, and waitresses, yes, the garden's here. I know I'm gonna make more money today. Not because they're ordering more alcohol, okay? <laughs> Calling some of you out. <laughs> because you're a generous giver. A generous presence. I want our spirits to be overwhelmed with God's gratitude and generosity that we just can't help but care for the needs of others. Financially, first fruits. We're modeling it. We're increasing by 11, 1%. That's a lot of money for a million dollar budget. We wanna keep going, we wanna, we wanna give, we wanna empower the church globally, empower the church locally. A, a pastor friend of mine who's starting a church in Anaheim, I walk with a lot of church planners. I basically say, don't do it, it's so much work. No, I don't say that. Um, actually, I do say that, but as long, as long as they're called, I'm behind them, as long as God has said it. So he's like, hey Darren, uh, email me. He's like, what do you think about meeting public? We're, doing a, we're gonna do a vision night. I'm like, absolutely, how much is it? $75, I'm like, you have to. He's like, we don't have budget for that. I'm living on you know, a coffee shop barista budget. I've got two kids, we can't afford it. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you just made it known, we've got it covered, the garden, of course we'll cover that. We'll figure this thing out. It's like, I wanna be the type of church, it's like, no, we'll figure it out for the better, for the kingdom, for our friends. Somebody needs rent, we'll figure it out. We don't know what else to do other than to be generous and take the tab, right? We'll pick it up. That's the type of church we wanna be. And it starts with you being that kind of person. We gotta become a courageous presence. And this is what you're hearing stories about today. A courageous presence, where maybe for some of you it's going to different parts of the city and investing your life in different parts of the city. Maybe for some of you it's like laundry love, you go to a low-income neighborhood, and you just pass out quarters and you do what's nearly impossible and it takes so much courage and strength. You become so bold by just having conversations, conversations with strangers. For some of you that's what it is. To be a courageous presence is for you to start meeting your neighbors. You, you start praying for the, the coworkers that you have. It's opening up your home and inviting the neighbors into your home. It's you ex extending hospitality to people that look and talk differently than you and learning from them. Become a courageous presence. Become a courageous presence that's willing to look like a fool for the sake of other, like the gal in our church who prayed for somebody uh, at, at Ralph's because I challenged her. For you, it's becoming courageous, bold in your faith, bold in your risk. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Start stepping out and risking. We gotta become a spiritual presence. And this is what I, I mean. We have to stand in the reality of what is true. We have to stand in the reality that we know without a shadow of a doubt that God loves this world so much that he sent his son to die 
for the world. That God loves this city so much that he wants to bless every child of God he has, which is all of humanity. He wants to speak love and affirmation like Zacchaeus. When he says to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. And Zacchaeus was a foreigner. He was an, uh, uh, sorry, he was conspired with uh, the Romans. He was excommunicated from Jewish faith. Couldn't go to the temple for worship or fellowship. Jesus extends fellowship to him. He says, I'm giving half of my wealth away. Anyone I wronged, I'll I'll pay them back double or quadruple is what he says. And Jesus says to him, salvation has come to your house today because you too are a son of Abraham. We need people that are willing to stand in the reality and have faith for the person that doesn't have faith. I was at uh, dinner on Thursday with a, a guy who uh, trained me in praying for, the, for healing. He has a huge healing ministry around the world. Um, he's connected to all sorts of churches. He's, he's a, quite a big guy and quite fun. And um, he, he had a layover. In L- he lives in Illinois at LAX for about two hours, and he wanted to get dinner, so I, I picked him up. We grabbed dinner at Z Pizza. And he's just talking to my buddy Zach and I about healing ministry, and he was going off to Australia on a long flight. And he's telling story after story. I mean, he's prayed for people that have been raised from the dead in England. It's in the newspaper in England. I mean, he's got crazy stories. Parkinson's disease healed, blind people. I mean, it's just, the list goes on. It's just crazy faith. But really, he's like, it doesn't take faith. I just, I just, I believe God wants to do this. So I just step out and do it. And he's like, let me show you. I'm like, okay. He calls the waitress over. He's like, hey, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm Robbie. This is Darren and Zach. And uh, we, we believe that God is always speaking and God wants to love you and bless you. And do you mind if we just, you know, see if God wants to bless you today? The, the waitress comes over and she's like, sure, I'll, I'll take that. And he goes, okay, Darren, what's the first thing that you, you think of? And I, I'm like, what, do you, what, am I, what am I supposed to do? I'm like, just supposed to talk. He's like, yeah, we're like, you know, blank stares, awkward, hi, nice to meet you. Um, I'm like, you do it. And so he starts, he just starts talking to her. And in, in a matter of minutes, he has prophetic words about her family, uh, about her brothers in particular, and they were all 100% accurate. And he's like, don't be nice. Tell me the truth if this is not right. And she's like, it's so crazy that you've come here. Um, I just told my boyfriend uh, last night that if I don't believe in God, I don't think he's real, he's not revealed himself, and if he's real, that he would reveal himself. And Robbie stops her and says, this is Jesus revealing himself to you. What do you wanna do in response to this? And led her to accept Jesus into her life in that moment. It's like, I, and, and while she was praying, and then I'll tell you this one story because it makes me finally look good. Um, the first thing that came to my mind, I lied, was her mom was sick. And I'm like, I'm not gonna say that. I don't know this waitress from anywhere. So I was like, okay, he already did that. Let me just tell you, you'd be nice to me. I'm probably wrong. I'm wrong all the time. Yada, yada. I just, you know, dig, dig lower and lower. And, uh, and she's like, that's so crazy that you say that. My mom had a heart attack on Sunday and they don't know what's wrong. She's really sick and I'm really worried. I'm like, okay, this is real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's the point of these stories? We have to become the spiritual presence that ushers in a new way of existence for life around us. We have to be courageous and stand in that reality that we know without a shadow of a doubt that God is after her, leaving the 99 and going after Daisy at Z Pizza at nine o'clock at night on your way to Australia. God wants to use you for that story. Do you have that kind of presence when you show up to Z Pizza? I didn't. Lastly, you need a relational presence. And what do I mean by that? Evangelism, Jesus calling every one of you to the nations, starts with your life. 
You see, you have to see your life as a relational presence. You are, are, are ushering people into a new way of existence with God the creator in right relationship, but also with them. And brothers and sisters, how will we baptize 1,000 people in the next five years? That's one of our goals. One of, whether or not we're, we're fulfilling our vision is if we baptize 1,000 new believers in five years. That's outrageous, isn't it? It should be. It should be so outrageous that we need God's help. I was thinking, 1,000 people, that's great. I'm not really about numbers, but what I am about are the names that are on your hearts. Are there names on your hearts and minds? When I say we need to baptize unbelievers, what pops up is my cousin, my coworker, my friend, my spouse, my dad. Do you have names? Because if we get behind the names, then just this crowd right here alone would have over a thousand people baptized if we went after those three, five names that we have on our hearts. Would you agree? Then all of a sudden, the thousand becomes too small for a five-year vision, right? Do you have people that you're praying for, people that you're inviting into your life to experience what you've experienced? How, what caused the riot in Ephesus? The church was filled with the Holy Spirit. The church had a bold missional presence. It was a faithful presence. It was a, a compassionate presence, a generous presence, a spiritual presence, a courageous presence, a relational presence. I want to invite you into that, you as an individual, to be a part of a community that is a bold missional presence. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about The Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.